1: Or Whatever Movies
0: with Wesley and Iris. What up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother.
1: Wesley, and today we're discussing a film streaming on Netflix, 2021's Bloody Milkshake.
0: Bloody Milkshake?
1: Yep, that's the title in France.
0: (laughs) Female John Wick.
1: I don't know why you gotta qualify it. I wrote down amazing female cast, hell of a female cast, and then I crossed out female because you can't qualify a man. It's just an amazing cast. It's chicks, good people, (laughs) dudes, bad people. It's like Apple. Apple (laughs) won't let bad people carry their phones in movies. Is
0: that true? That's part of their brand safety?
1: Right. If you see uh, someone holding an iPhone, they're a good person, or if they're a bad person holding an iPhone, you know they're going to be redeemed in the end.
0: Little clue there, and if they're a bad person who's not going to be redeemed, Android,
1: (laughs) yes. And uh, they all there's also a Google Yahoo thing, bad guys use Yahoo. Oh, but not that any of that matters here because the all these phones are flip phones in this movie for some reason.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting choice. Was it just a throwback retro kind of a thing? Is
1: that what retro is? Is it 20 years ago? Is it flip phones?
0: Well, the flip phones was the first indicator of form over function for me for this film. Maybe it's simply a stylistic choice.
1: I mean, how analog is a bowling alley?
0: I mean, when was the bowling heyday? 70s? Um, the girls went bowling recently and they loved it.
1: Because it's a fun throwbacky kind of thing where you have kitschy stuff and like pinball and, and that, the claw machine or whatever. I was trying hard to pin down the era for this movie. I thought it was much earlier than that, and but they still have phones. It was like it follows where it's an indeterminate time frame. I thought yep. it was as far back as the 60s. So I thought like this was the murderous Mrs. Maisel, and then I was wrong because <laughs> it seems to be up to date. I think I think you judge it mostly by the cars.
0: Well, John Wick's probably another good analogy in this sense, because John Wick is kind of underworld that exists outside of our timeline.
1: And then there's the other component. This is where it gets risky for me. So come at me, bro, if you must. The guy spoke and I was like, oh, man, he's even Russian, too. Like, how how John Wick can it get? Right but in russia they're maybe a little bit behind the times not technologically mind you but the aesthetic seems dated even the most up-to-date russian mobster dudes still look like they're out of the matrix from 20 years ago right it's like shiny leather slicked back 90s vibe of cool is what i've always kind of gotten
0: But is that Russia or is that just the vibe of this movie? Because there was a very specific hand guiding the style and tone of this film.
1: Yes, a very distinctly, in my opinion, un-American hand, trying to steer it in such a way that it looks and feels American by someone who uh, is not American. And that's, again, that's not a bad thing. It's just emulating movies that they love for what seems to pass as an idea of American kitsch. We have the diner and the bowling alley. And things like that. So our director's name is Navot Papushado, And what I was sort of encouraged by is listening to interviews that he is an unabashed devotee of certain kinds of cinemas, all of which are represented so obviously here. Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino and these kinds of movies. And he talked about wanting to make a Western, you know, if you could make any movie that you wanted right now, what would it be? Oh, it would be a 70s style heist film or a Western for sure. So it's a blending of genres in a Guillermo del Toro kind of way where it looks and feels American because that's the movies that these people grew up loving.
0: So Navit from Israel grew up watching the same movies that we did and is now making his contribution to the filmmakers and films that he loves.
1: But I I do want to pin this down because it sounds like a pejorative, like this idea that they're trying to make American movies, but they're not American and just a cheap imitation of American films. It's not like that, but rather I feel like there is a distinction between non-American filmmakers trying to evoke a certain style it seems like from an american perspective for us to view this movie we can be like well i'm not sure i would have made that movie because it looks just like quentin tarantino or robert rodriguez or you know whatever sam peckinpah which is is exactly what the filmmaker is going for and those love letters of this style i feel don't come from americans who have lived it it doesn't seem like an exotic concept does that make sense
0: They're not making it to be exotic, and they're not necessarily making it to be authentic, but to be their own take and twist on it, the the homage.
1: I guess in the same way that Japanese would view Kill Bill as the samurai revenge flick updated, but still with themes of the Kurosawa films, maybe.
0: Yeah, definitely a Kill Bill vibe in this one.
1: Oh, 100%. And the fact that they talked openly about his love for Tarantino movies and Robert Rodriguez style, of which Carla Gugino, who was talking about it, is a big part. She was in Sin City and Spy Kids and all this stuff, is comforting. To know that he's not trying to rip, he's obviously a fan and is trying to make a film in this world.
0: We talked about Tarantino's latest film, Hollywood Homicide. <laughs> what was it called?
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, not to be confused with a Harrison Ford movie with Josh Hartnett made by ya boy, where Harrison Ford rides a tricycle down the street or a little girl's bike. Ron Shelton that was, um, directed that one.
0: Yeah, we talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Tarantino has always exhibited a healthy amount of style and puts a lot of emphasis on form. And sometimes it bugs me, sometimes it doesn't. But In the end, it always comes around. Like, I felt like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a success because despite a whole bunch of things feeling like non sequiturs or unnecessary detours, they all kind of paid off. And they paid off in in such a way that was so satisfying. And so I have some issues with Tarantino's films, but ultimately they pay off. And I, I felt like this was so much more style over substance so much more form over function that i found it to be kind of tedious
1: tarantino is definitely a deft hand he has all these things in his brain but the execution he's not going to put it on paper unless it's satisfying to him this seems like an idea of tarantino from a moment if you'll recall in kill bill as i don't think there was more than a half a dozen true slow-mo shots where this is the entire style of slow mo action filmmaking, kind of reminiscent of The Matrix, where like all this cool stuff is happening at once in a big set where, you know, books are exploding everywhere and there's people flying all over the place. And so you, we want you to see all of it in frame and all of it, we want you to see all the action. It was like slow, trying to come up with a term. It was like slow retro or like retro mo.
0: <laughs> retro mo.
1: Retro Slow Mo. And it had so many of the elements of so many of the Tarantino films, but it was more of the tedious parts. I think, I feel like this movie was. Remember, we talked about how you feed enough into a computer and the computer will spit out its own version. What movie were we talking about?
0: On the Rocks or The Banker.
1: Right. You put in a kind of movie that you want, and the computer spits out a movie that will avoid plagiarism directly because there's no direct quotes, but it has this exact same feel and look. And this has the same look as john wick is very obvious uh there are elements of nobody which we'll talk about and certainly the tarantino and the kill bill movies but it wasn't just in the same style it seemed like a deliberate ripoff it seemed like somebody made a movie but the only thing they had to go on by tarantino was like the quentin tarantino pinball machine and they made a a whole movie based on a quentin tarantino pinball machine
0: Or like the slot machine, the Quentin Tarantino slot machine that you see in Vegas. You
1: get like sound ups and stuff and brief action clips and they base their entire movie around it.
0: <laughs> I really appreciated the attention to detail, the wardrobing The costuming is beautiful and very stylized. The action sequences were very well choreographed and fun. Like I loved the use of the bowling ball and the bowling alley fight scenes. The sets, everything was consistent art design wise. The sets are all lit beautifully and interesting use of neon and the pools of color and light. Like it's all, it's all very well thought through. Except for the story. I mean, it's not that the story was bad. It just felt secondary to
1: all of the style. Everything was saturated in every sense of the word. Uh, You didn't even mention, we did mention before, but a hell of a cast. They just kept coming. It's like, whoa, Michelle Yeoh just popped in from off screen. That's crazy.
0: Oh, I couldn't wait to see her throw down.
1: Right. And you know she's going to and you know she can. So obviously the Kill Bill themes were evident as with John Wick, which I think it will be compared to in perpetuity. But there was also nobody and that this was a side quest. It wasn't a grand mission of Sam's. Bob Odenkirk goes to do a thing and that thing doesn't work out. And on the way home, he chances upon a young girl being hassled by the Russian mobsters. And that becomes his mission. Right. Wrong place. Right time. Same way. She stumbles into this plot, happens to also hurt the son of the Russian gangster and happens to stumble onto this girl because the mission was the dad or whatever. And then we get the dad out of the way. And and then she's got she's stuck with kiddo for the rest of the movie.
0: I could hear you groan when when the kid's like, I'm your apprentice. I was like, "Uh oh. This is where Wes checks out because she's strapped with a kid. It
1: ticked a box is all. And so depending on my mood, I could have been filled with rage watching Gunpowder Milkshake. It's a silly title, but it's a silly title that seems to fit an obviously silly movie because as much as we have detailed choreograph, it's not fun anymore. To just have the fights. I mean, if you think about John Wick, Keanu his choreography every now and again is hand to hand. But mostly it's him really quickly pointing a gun in a different direction. Bang, 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 bang. <sighs> and it's kind of hunched over and intense. And so they're like, what if, though, John Wick's arms were numb and he had someone who could tape junk to his hands that could be used effectively? And that's where the the silliness comes in. But it very quickly devolved from a serious, I guess, kind of action movie of this type to more silly, more fun. And the fact that the least professional henchmen ever were all hopped up on laughing gas, including the doctor. And everybody's going to fight all stoned and floppy armed. And I think our ability is to pin down what kind of movie this is and decide whether or not we're going to get on board with it. Because if we're thinking this is going to push the action genre forward, we're going to be disappointed. Or we can say, oh, man, this is going to be one of those type of movies. It's going to be a Leon the Professional Apprentice assassination movie. So it's like John Wick meets Kill Bill meets The Professional or Leon. And then... We understand. It's not like, what is this? It's so weird because we've seen it a thousand times. This is a world that's established, a world of assassins. And can I lighten your load in the diner? And the diner has history and guns go in the cookie jar. And the assassination committee has convened. And now they're going to have an assassination committee meeting. (laughs) The firm, And so it's hard. Yeah. The, in this movie, it's the firm. And so we know that it's going to be silly. And, and when the tropes happen, I didn't groan. I was just like nodding in agreement. They take that box and it just covered another thing. So as is always the case, I look for the weird stuff, the minutia that makes me wonder about it that I think annoys Kelly. Was this movie made by Universal?
0: Uh, no, I think it was um, STX.
1: So did they have to get the licensing from Universal for all the Universal monsters? The Frankenstein and the Wolfman, the Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman and Dracula?
0: Oh, I see. Because of the masks. Yeah, I definitely noticed the wooden stake through the vampire. Right. I mean, yeah, they do own those, so.
1: It's just a heightened sense of reality overall where they're worried about not swearing to traumatize kiddo, like she's going to be more traumatized and seeing everyone get shot all around her right after the murderer of her dad murders other people and then tries to play parent.
0: That was just another kitschy, another kitschy, funny thing.
1: It's like it was a one-stop shop for the masks that, that they needed, and uh, that's yeah, what Yeah, exactly. Got. But some stuff was original. I mean, the car fight stuff in the garage was fairly original.
0: That cherry red Porsche firmly placing this in the 90s along with the flip phones. Something
1: like that. It's just an idea of the cars that were cool when I was a kid. And the point is we know pretty much everything that's coming and any slight variations are the things that I grasp in the hopes that I'll find something new and interesting. We know that when Angela Bassett comes in off-screen, Carla Gugino and Michelle Yeoh on top of an already solid cast, you know not everybody's going to die. So the fact that they're big stars ensure that they'll all be able to return so you can kind of have fun knowing that probably one of them is going to die and I was wrong when Michelle Yeoh does the dramatic presentation with the other fairy godmother and like puts her hands on her shoulders I was like uh oh she's going off to die but she's going to die heroically and I was wrong about which one dies heroically
0: you totally picked up on the fairy godmother reference this was like
1: yeah they were all in their in their unique colors and stuff and
0: yes I was like this is the Cinderella fairy godmother trio
1: just guns instead of wands. And, uh, and, and you know, you're like, wow, everybody's in this movie. And then it's not always good. I mean, Michelle Yeoh kicks ass and doesn't talk a lot. But the monologuer, Angela Bassett, was kind of overacting the whole time, don't you think? Like everything she said had real emphasis.
0: I mean, a total badass and very imposing character, appropriate for the, the leader of the fairy godmothers. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I didn't feel like her style was any more egregious than the style we saw splashed everywhere else.
1: You didn't laugh when we pan past her face in the, in the slow-mo diner fight when she's slamming the dude's head into the glass?
0: <laughs> there were some good expressions in that whole sequence. That long tracking shot across the diner counter.
1: Did you catch uh, Michelle Yeoh taking it in the eye? Uh, I didn't catch that. No. And Kelly was like, did she just get like hit in the eye? Or sh- did he get her in the eye or shoot her or whatever? And then she did have the eye patch later. That one pan I just shot, thought, I, mean,
0: I was like, oh, they just wanted to make her look badass.
1: Yeah, no, I guess it was legitimate. There were like four takes of that scene with the lights at like 250% or something because the slow-mo dips the lighting down. Yeah. And that. I don't know, what was it, like a 45-second tracking shot in slow-mo was probably all of like a six-second pan. I don't know what it was. (laughs) Pretty ridiculous. So I have a piece of trivia that I love that was picked up by other people. And I was like, oh, man, I thought maybe it was just me because I'm old. Angela Bassett's name in this movie is Anime. And Kelly thought it was anime.
0: Like Japanese animation. Right.
1: But my American movie going perspective immediately picked up. And I was like, Anime? Anime? This is her second time playing a character named Anime, Angela Bassett. That's so weird. Because when she was in What's Love Got to Do with It, Tina Turner's real name is Anime Bullock. And I was like, this is the culmination of my nerd knowledge of decades of movie watching. And then it was like (laughs) on the Internet, too, like IMDb. It was like second time playing anime. And I was like, oh, that was mine. I was going to bring that to the world.
0: But was it an an intentional nod or was it just a... One of those throwbacky kind of quaint names that you wouldn't necessarily associate with an assassin.
1: Don't know. Further establishing this in an ambiguous timeline, the fairy godmothers all had clunky names. It was Anna Mae and Florence and Legitima. I don't remember what was her name? What was Carla Gugino's name? What,
0: what did you call her? Scarlet.
1: Well, Scarlet too.
0: Madeline.
1: It was one of those things that immediately clicked for me. Anime was kind of cool.
0: Did you have previous exposure to the Virgil character played by Adam Negatis?
1: Is he the lanky, greasy-haired guy?
0: Yep. He was the -the hair-in-the-face nephew who was avenging his cousin.
1: I didn't for him, but I had major reference for Ralph Innocent, the guy who plays the deep-voiced Russian mobster guy. Oh, yeah? I didn't remember his name, and I was like, I love that dude. Because he was the dude in uh, Buster Scruggs when he's trying to hang James Franco. Do you have anything to say, son? We had some proceedings here. You're off. You're not feverish for most of it. I totally love that dude. He's awesome. And he was in The Vivage, and he was in Ready Player One and stuff. But no. Your dude, I didn't have any reference for. I kind
0: of thought he was, he had a, a vaguely Dustin Hoffman feel. Like I was <laughs> like, maybe Jake Hoffman, no, Adam Negatus, um, good greasy villain type character, but an ignominious end like he just he he gets shot flying out the window, right? And then he's done. We don't see him again.
1: Well, I wouldn't call it ignominious. He had, I guess, a come up and said it. it was just in the middle of all this calamity and gun and gunfire. I mean, yeah, he tried to dive out the window and she was like shooting him in the butt as he was flying. Pretty rough.
0: <laughs> was the diner ambush kind of unfair?
1: With the guns, I didn't understand yeah. these rules. It seems like these ladies were the only ones consistently violating the rules. However, when everything went down, one of the dudes had a gun. I think it might have been your your dude who you're just talking about. And Kelly's like, where'd that dude get that gun? Because they're all allowed to bring, like, <laughs> knives and junk. So they were all armed in the fight, but one of them had a gun. But it seems like if the ladies can, throughout history, violate the diner's gun rules, then they can too, right?
0: Yeah, it doesn't make the gun rules really worth much if everybody's <laughs> violating right. them. Like, what's Rose really doing there?
1: Let's just take down the no gun sign. Nobody's listening <laughs> anyway. I mean, obviously, they're our
0: heroes. Sam and crew are our heroes, and we want them to succeed. But it seemed somehow unfair. Like, they got them all rounded up, disarmed them under the pretense of rules, and then were like, bam, bam, bam.
1: Over the space of 45 seconds of hilarious slow-mo. I mean, if you're going to read between the lines too, the gangsters could have been like, well, you didn't say anything about bombs. So we like laid the whole thing, surrounded the whole place with bombs and blew all the ba- all the people up at once.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if they had thought ahead. But these gangsters, they weren't the sharpest tools in the toolbox. These gangsters were pretty doofy, pretty like just action fodder.
1: There was so much that was. I'm not sure that he was trying to do, and our director was trying to do anything new because even she had a vaguely pale faced, awkwardish Uma Thurman sort of vibe.
0: Karen Gillen?
1: Karen Gillen, yeah. And I was continually surprised listening to interviews with this cast where they're like, man, if you were a gun, what kind of gun would you be? Like, if you had a gun book named after you, what would your gun be? What, How much damage would it do? And they're like, I don't know too much about guns. And Karen Gillan's like, I had a fight one time in when as it, when I was a little kid, my only fight when she pulled my hair, but I don't know about guns. And it's, No one seems like the person in training for years. Like, I was born to play this role. But if you put them in long coats... And you make them badass with their little vests and their guns and stuff and they jump over the table and it's all in slow-mo and you add any more Coney trumpets, you can make anyone look badass. And not to say that these these ladies weren't badass, because they were all really capable and I found their fight scenes believable. I didn't think like, oh, like they shouldn't they maybe should have cast a little bit better. It seemed like everybody was just fine. And then Michelle Yo, you know she's gonna throw down even without the guns. She's like so much faster than anyone else,
0: which is probably why they laden her with chains just to bring her down to everyone else's speed.
1: But you get kind of excited and you're like, yeah, we've seen it before and you view it almost as a curiosity. But I guess I couldn't be mad at it. It's like if if a kid brings you is like they just watched a movie that you love and is like, you know, mommy, I made you a drawing. Of that movie and you're like that's awesome i mean it's not great it's not but that that's so good honey
0: the tarantino analogy is apt because i like that it's stylized i like that it was interesting to look at but when it comes down to it i'm like it was enjoyable to look at but i might have enjoyed cleaning my room and getting to bed early a little bit more. <laughs> man
1: how old are you <laughs> I've met people who are like, you know, my favorite director is. And I'm like, who? Because I like talking about movies. Robert Rodriguez. And I'm like, seriously, of in the history of cinema, that's what you've got? And I do feel like these people are put like the like Robert Rodriguez is put in the same league as Tarantino. But yep. there's a different level of awareness and magic and satisfaction that for some reason. That's it. But if you view it objectively, I guess it could feel like, oh, Tarantino is just all violence and guns and flashy dialogue. Dialogue. But there's something else there that this movie doesn't possess.
0: I was outside of it. I was observing it. I wasn't necessarily enjoying it. I ultimately wasn't satisfied by Gunpowder Milkshake, and that's what makes me question the time that you put into it. Like I, I was paying attention to the details. I was looking at, oh, that's a very interesting lighting technique, and oh, you know, they're over cranking this or under cranking that. And look at that detail and the choreography and blah 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 blah. It. it required me to put in a lot of effort it was definitely a watcher like i'm leaning forward i'm looking at it. and analyzing it but ultimately i'm not enjoying it i'm not enjoying this film because i think unlike a tarantino film it lacked a certain amount of tension and i think that we lost any opportunity for that tension really early on when this film decided that it wasn't going to be a serious action thriller that it was going to be a, a very self-aware action movie that's supposed to be stylistically a lot of fun, but without all of the kind of satisfying, delivering, you know, story-wise kind of pieces.
1: So am I safe in suggesting that you didn't have an issue with the roles swapped for the most part, being that basically our main cast were all ladies? That wasn't a problem for you? None of them under-delivered or, or were, were completely out of place?
0: No, I thought they were all badass. They all looked awesome and it seemed to me that all their performances were on spec like they were acting as directed and acting within the conventions and parameters of the style i liked the cast
1: and so no slight on what the filmmakers were trying to do with an obviously uh, female-centric action movie because everyone was was passable and, and, and many of them were even admirable. I really liked this cast. You know, but it definitely runs the risk of being, uh, oh, this is Ocean's 8, the all-female cast to Ocean's 11. And I think the problem there is not the female cast but rather the fact that there's no unknown ground that we're covering here.
0: Not treading new territory.
1: It's the rehash that that I think we have a problem with and not the concept of, oh, great, remaking Ocean's Eleven with all women, remaking the Ghostbusters with an all-female cast. It wasn't the ladies' fault. It was what the movie ultimately brought to the table, where this wouldn't have pushed anything forward either if it were men.
0: Well, it's kind of like the ladies were supposed to be the novelty, And the burden of that novelty was placed on their gender identity in a way. Like, I really applaud the move to the all-female casts and, or films like Wonder Woman or Black Widow, where these characters are getting their time in the spotlight. But it feels like the filmmakers kind of stopped there. Like, it's new because, hey, it's women, but not how do we use these characters regardless of their gender to be moving the the not the genre forward i mean it's not on gun it's not gunpowder milkshake's responsibility to move the action thriller assassin movie forward necessarily but delivers a great story and don't rely entirely on the all-female cast as the primary novelty in your offering
1: right something distinctive and there were unique themes memorable themes i guess to Fights were big and they were fantastic, but not quite to the level of magical. Like it seemed Mm. plausible, I guess, that they would have a VW mounted minigun to mow down everybody in the (laughs) endless forest of whatever.
0: There were two strengths that I, I thought that they played really well into. This idea of a library of weapons, that's kind of inventive and cool.
1: In theory, it's like a hitman having their own currency. Practically speaking... Carrying around the gold coins or the gold bars, maybe not the easiest way to get a slice of pizza in New York or whatever. But I mean, because you had to open every single like they weren't just throwing the books aside. They were stacking giant books and running with them to a safe space where they could unpack them.
0: Yes, true. But cool literary themes right? Sometimes the weapons within the books had ties to the books themselves. It's not a vault. It's a library of of weaponry and there's history there and there's a, a curator and I thought that was kind of cool inventive especially like the spooky reading room where presumably like the scary books are where you can go and and read a book in black light with fog all around or atmosphere all around. That was kind of cool but I think the strongest use of the cast was leaning into the compassion like leaning into the female sense of compassion where these women were so compassionate toward the little girl and doing whatever they could even if in vain to kind of maintain a certain amount of her innocence and affection toward each other all very acceptable feminine presentations of these emotions and interesting aspects of their otherwise totally badass personalities.
1: They could be badass without sacrificing their femininity when they weren't in the middle of a gunfight. There was, yeah, a level of connection, which I think those roots go deeper than we allowed for as viewers. Moving from one fight sequence to the next, but one of the reasons that some of these ladies signed up is because of the rich history that I think was overshadowed by the fights. The fairy godmothers were betrayed by the fact that Scarlet disappears and doesn't maintain contact there's the intergenerational stuff of not only scarlet's daughter but emily as sam's ward you know yeah just, there was this sense of family within the firm or whatever their enterprise was and right. that was the theme that i think would have given this movie the proper amount of balance and depth yeah. it seems like the balance was tipped more towards this idea of a vast criminal network and history and these rules and things and, you know, and the fight sequences that were necessary, the fight sequences that were obligatory throughout as a result.
0: What was essential was that these women have history and that they care for one another, their family, whether they're related or not. So it didn't feel like Sam's connection with Scarlet was any more strong necessarily than it was with the fairy godmothers when they were all reunited. I have a little bit of a hard time with this Enola Holmes type syndrome where mothers just up and leave their children. Like, it's obviously a very hard decision, but they stay away for like a needless amount of time. Like... (laughs) spoiler (laughs) they missed their (laughs) sorry but like i didn't buy scarlet's reason to abandon sam she
1: broke the rules she didn't put the guns in the cookie jar or whatever
0: Yeah, but she's hanging out in the in the background and why she chose to, you know, this moment to reappear was unclear to me. Like, why was it now safe to come out? Like it just as a mom, I'm not going to abandon my kids. And if I did, then I would probably let them know why and not just leave them in a lurch
1: with Paul Giamatti, (laughs)
0: With, with Paul Giamatti or with
1: Superman. He could definitely be a creeper, right, Paul Giamatti? Like it seems like he plays it pretty professional here, but just on the whole, if you were looking to cast a creeper, you got Paul Giamatti and you got the dude from Little Children and Watchmen. But we know it. We know that that Lena Headey is not gonna disappear because she's Lena Headey, and we know that you know everybody who comes along, none of them are really gonna die. The sequel has already been announced, and I'm sure we'll even get Carla Gugino back, even though she died, because this is not a world where we have to cleave to reality and sensible, meaningful deaths. Well, there's
0: always opportunity for, for flashback. And...
1: You talked about a, a lack of tension or drama or stakes being present, and I didn't care enough about these people so that when they died, it was in a great tragedy. I didn't believe that Lena Headey was gone. For good or anything. So when she wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Maybe that's it. Maybe just no surprises in Gunpowder Milkshake. Maybe the deepest mystery was the title, and maybe the title was just meant to sound cool. These kinds of movies tend to piss me off, and when that doesn't happen, I'm like, all right. I am
0: like alright I little bit put this on our programming intending to piss you off. <laughs> in your final word on Gunpowder Milkshake?
1: I already said it. It was like, all right, mm, all right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm going to interpret that as a low end all right on your rating scale.
1: This one didn't quite annoy me as much enough to like trash it. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's just it's, just, it's fine.
0: <laughs> Netflix original film, Gunpowder Milkshake, a blend of lots of different shoot up action films, but not quite my flavor. I might be a little intolerant. <laughs> But I appreciated how the filmmakers were trying to shake things up.
1: At least they didn't try for a lot of puns in this movie, right?
0: <laughs> and that's our review on Netflix original film, Gunpowder Milkshake. Open up your flip phone. Hit us up, 818-835-0473. Let us know what you think about Gunpowder Milkshake or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Take your hands, I'm shaking like milk
0: Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast
1: Subscribe today. Electric acid.
0: Electric Electric Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four
1: decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between.